You may be seated. For this morning's sermon, we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 2, picking up where we left off last time. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5, we'll be reading through verse 18. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Hebrews 2, starting at verse 5. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone." For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Please join us in prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, on a, on a weekend where we are celebrating freedom, Father, may we truly celebrate the freedom that is due to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who made our salvation perfect through his suffering and is now crowned with glory and honor. And uh, we just pray that you'll be with Mark this morning as he brings this word. Just give him wisdom, give him what he stands in need of, and just bless him. We praise you, Father, for the opportunity to open your word this morning. What a blessing. And we just praise you, Father. And uh, all of this we lift up in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So as we get started this morning, the question we're faced with is, where is the Christian to turn when their world seems to be crumbling around them? This is the question our passage this morning seeks to answer. This question holds a special relevance to its original audience as they navigate a new life in this faith. But it's also an important question for those of us here today. 
At the heart of this question is the sovereignty, that is to say, the, the rule of God and our finite or limited understanding of that sovereignty as, as uh, human beings. This question has all kinds of practical implications in, in how Christians are to experience tragedy, face the unknown, or, or deal with that next catastrophe. We are going to see that, that because God has put everything in subjection under Christ, and because Christ has died for his people, that we are no longer slaves to the fear of death, and we can enjoy salvation in him. To do this, we are going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at our problem of perspective. Second, we're going to be looking at our union with Christ. And third, we're going to be looking at our merciful and faithful high priest. Again, that's our problem of perspective, our union with Christ, and our merciful and faithful high priest. With that, let's get started by looking at our problem of perspective. As we get going in our passage, it's important to think about where we have been so far in this letter to the Hebrews. We have to remember that that the writer here is encouraging these Jewish converts to persevere in the faith as everything from their previous lives beckons them to come back. They're ostracized. They're, They're viewed as outsiders by those whom they love most due to their newfound faith. And so the writer is showing them why the Christian faith is worth all of this suffering and hardship that they are experiencing. We have seen that Jesus is God's better revelation to his people. He is better than the prophets because Jesus is, in fact, God himself. He is the heir of all things because he is the son of God and because all things have been made through him. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God and is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's all of these things, and yet Jesus has also purified his people of their sins. They are, they are the heirs of a great salvation. And we know that Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father this very minute on our behalf. Now that these believers know all of these things, the question that faces them is, is how could they possibly neglect this great salvation after learning of it? The writer exhorts them, as well as us here today, to pay closer attention to these things lest we drift away. God has given Jesus Christ, he's given us the apostles, and he has done great signs and wonders and miracles and gifts by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are to heed this message that is being proclaimed to us. So in our passage this morning, we continue in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is as our Lord and Savior and and how that should impact our lives. We see here in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. The writer here tells these believers not to get wrapped up in the rampant angel worship that was taking place at this time. Because angels are not supreme. Jesus Christ is supreme. The writer exhorts them to put their faith in what really matters. And again, the writer goes to the Old Testament, the only word of God that these believers happen to have at this time, as the New Testament was still being revealed, to prove his point in verses 6 through 8, the first part of verse 8, rather, this morning, which is actually a quote from from Psalm 8, which we just sang from for our hymn of preparation. We read, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection 
under his feet. So here David, the writer of this psalm, recounts the special place that humanity holds in God's creation. We, we are his image bearers. But he also points out the beauty of the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his commentary, John Calvin points out that that it's right to see man's elevated role in God's creation. That Adam was created again in God's image and that he was given dominion over God's creation. But we also recall here that Adam lost his ability to do that as he was designed to do when he sinned. Adam alienated himself from God and so God sent Jesus Christ born of a woman, born under the law, to live the life that Adam did not, in order that those who believe in him would receive salvation as everything is placed in subjection under Christ's feet. Now, continuing in verse 8, we read, Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So here we see this great problem of these struggling Christians, the problem that they face in their day, and it's also the problem that you and I face today in many respects. We don't presently see everything in subjection to Jesus Christ. They, like us, miss the forest for the trees. These believers experience hardship because of their newfound faith, and they fail to look at the big picture. They only see what is directly in front of them. And we do this too, as as finite, limited human beings, we we get lost in the newsreel. We ask ourselves, how can everything be under Christ's control when people murder their unborn children? When people question something as simple as gender? And when we are so divided by issues of race and sexuality and and ideology? If our foundation isn't the supremacy of Jesus Christ, as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews have pointed out up until this point, The world does look like it's being ripped apart by the ravages of sin. If we get lost in the the here and now, we fail to see that the battle has already been won. We lose sight of our salvation. We forget to rest in it. We forget to enjoy in it in our day-to-day lives. And, And we rob ourselves of the hope and peace that is afforded to us in Jesus Christ. So, What is the remedy to this great problem of perspective, both for these struggling brothers and sisters then and for us today? This brings us to our second point, our union with Christ. The remedy to this problem of perspective is is to look at Jesus Christ in our union with him. The writer picks up his quotation from Psalm 8 once again here in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Here we see Christ's fulfillment of what David said all of those years ago in Psalm 8. It says, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 8 through 10, and being found in human form, he, this is Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Christ has highly, therefore, God rather, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus Christ's humiliation consists of him taking on a human nature and bearing the wrath of God at Calvary in order that his people would be saved. And these are some of the reasons why we're here worshiping him this morning. 
Because Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone who believes, the Christian no longer has to fear death. And and he can enjoy salvation in Christ. And because Christ bore death for all who believe, we can have hope even in the worst of circumstances. When by the Holy Spirit we we grasp the supremacy of Christ and and who he is, what he has accomplished, there is no need to fear anything that the world can possibly throw our way. This This is why we are to pay close attention. This is why we should not drift. Because our great salvation comes at the expense of the blood of God's only begotten Son. We rest in his finished work. This is what the writer means when he says, for it was fitting that he, that is, we're talking about God the Father here, for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here we see that God the Father, who, who spoke the world into existence by the word of his power in the space of six days, is bringing many sons to glory through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, another question for us this morning then is, how does the already perfect founder of our salvation, Jesus Christ, become perfect through suffering? Philip Hughes points out that this perfecting of Christ refers to the believers that make up the body of Christ, becoming perfect through their union with him as he carries out the task his father sent him to do. Herman Bavink says, Scripture tells us that the Son of God not merely became man, became like us in all things, sin accepted, but also that he took the form of a servant, humiliated himself, and became obedient to death, even to death of the cross. He became man to fulfill all righteousness and to be himself sanctified by suffering. It was written that Christ should suffer and on the third day arise from the dead. The Father sent him in order to fulfill his work on earth, And even gave him a commandment to lay down his life and to take it up again. All that Christ experienced, therefore, was carrying out of what God's hand and counsel had before determined to be done. On the cross, for the first time, Jesus could say that everything was finished and that he had done all that the Father had given him to do. So Jesus Christ came as a man and lived a perfect life for us and then died for us in order that he would rise again, that he would ascend into heaven from where he sent us the Holy Spirit, where where he sits at the right hand of God, working on our behalf this very moment, and from where he will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. So our Lord and Savior accomplishes the task that he was sent to do by dying on the cross in our place making us perfect in him. Jesus Christ won by losing. And because of Christ's atoning work and the Holy Spirit, we are in this process of of being sanctified. We, we We are dying to sin continually and being made more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we see in the following verse. Jesus Christ, the one through whom all things were created, humbled himself for us. And therefore, he is to receive all glory and honor. Christ's substitutionary death on that cross is according to God's eternal decree. It's it's, it's in line with God's perfect plan that's for his good pleasure. And as members of Christ's body, we are made perfect through his suffering. Through his humiliation and sacrifice, Christ brings many sons to glory. 
Now, these struggling Christians, as well as you in the pews today, are made sons. That is to say, we are made heirs of the promises of God through faith in this Jesus Christ. By faith, we are the adopted children of God. And and Jesus Christ is the founder of our faith. And that he has gone before us, opening up the way that leads to salvation and leading us in that way. By Jesus' suffering, his, his atoning work on the cross, the children of God are made perfect in the eyes of Almighty God. And we await glory. We, we, we wait, await an eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior where there will be no more sickness or suffering or sin. Brothers and sisters, that's going to be a glorious day. As we see in verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Now, the Greek here actually says, all are of one. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So Christ has taken on our human nature, and because of this, we are able to have union with him by the Holy Spirit. We, we are all of one nature. As Calvin says regarding this, if then we are sinful and unclean, we have not far to seek a remedy. For it is offered to us in our own flesh. That is to say, Jesus Christ has the same flesh and blood as we do. And this is why Christ is not ashamed to to call believers his brothers. Now think about what this means. Christ has both lowered himself by taking on a human nature. And the second person of the Trinity calls us his brothers. Think about what that says. Think of the balm that this would be to these struggling Hebrew Christians. No longer are they held at a distance from God as they were in Judaism. God is no longer behind the veil, as it were. They are now God's sons, and Jesus Christ calls them his brothers. This is why we have all these quotes taken from Psalm 22 and Psalm 18 and Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 12. We read, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Jesus Christ became incarnate in order to make God known to his people. Remember what we read all the way back in chapter 1, that, that God has spoken to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Therefore, Christ shows God's people the gospel. He shows them how to spread this gospel, how, how to sing God's praises, and how to put their trust in God Almighty. And believers do this because God the Father has given them as his adopted children to his Son, Jesus Christ. This means that, that Jesus Christ has come down from heaven to assume a human nature in order to rescue a fallen humanity and bring them into the family of God himself. And then after rescuing his people by dying in their place, he teaches them how to live as members of that family, bearing fruit to the glory of God in this world until he comes again. And the same is true for us today. So what does this do to your hardships and sufferings to know that Christ has come down from heaven, both to unite you to himself, to, to, to die for you, and to give you an eternal purpose? How could we ever dream of neglecting so great a salvation? Think about how this impacts your your strained relationships. 
your battle with that particular besetting sin or fumbling your words in that particular evangelistic conversation when you actually step out there and try to share the gospel with somebody. When you understand the big picture, you don't have to get so hung up on the details. Once you have, once you have the instruction manual, as it were, you, you, you have an idea of how things fit, start to fit together. You, you can see the big picture. This brings us to our final point this morning, our merciful and faithful high priest. So we see in verse 14 the benefits of Christ's assuming a human nature and taking on flesh uh, developed even further. We, we read, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has, power of de- who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So not only does, does Christ's incarnation enable our union with him, but it also provides the means of destroying the devil. Jesus Christ's passive obedience, that is to say, his, his suffering on this earth and his death on the cross, delivers us from the tyranny of the devil and the evils of this world. We no longer have to feel death, fear death and, and eternal separation from God due to our sin, the sin of our first parents, and, and also the sins that we commit ourselves now that we are corrupt. Brothers and sisters, the battle has already been won, and there's no longer uh, anything to fear. We, we, we are free to live lives of gratitude and service unto God. We continue and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus has delivered these Hebrew Christians, and, and you hear today from, from, from lifelong bondage to the fear of death. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has undergone our curse. And he has set us free both from the anxieties of this world and from the wrath of God. We have, we have nothing less left to fear when we view things in proper perspective. It's as Paul states in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Christ has delivered us. Not because of anything we have done, but because God has chosen us unconditionally. He, he's just carrying out his plan. And we can find hope in that it is not angels that Christ helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That is to say, spiritual Israel. We see this in places such as Romans and Galatians, that, that those who belong to Christ are the true Israel and the offspring of Abraham. For example, we read in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Imagine what this would have sounded like to these struggling Hebrew Christians. They are hearing that it is not because of their genealogy, it's not because of their adherence to the law that they are saved. It's not due to their Jewishness that they have walked away from, but, but because they are actively chosen by God. Imagine what this would mean to that struggling Gentile as well. They are now, for the first time in redemptive history, included in the covenant history, included in the covenant community, rather. So, not only does Christ assume a human nature in order to die for us and to unite us to Himself, but He also puts on our affections. He puts on our feelings. Jesus Christ made Himself like these suffering Christians, as well as you and I today, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
as we see in verse 17. Our high priest knows our plight, and therefore we can go to him. He's able to represent us. Now, if we think back, the the high priest served as a representative and a mediator between the people of God and God himself in the Old Testament. His job was to make sure that the covenant was being upheld. He directed the hearts of the people in carrying out their covenantal responsibilities. He, he handled the sacrifices and the offerings. He, he blessed the people. And he was the one that would enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple on the Day of Atonement in order to take away the pollution of God's people, that they might have right relationship and right worship with him. Jesus Christ is the Christian's great high priest. And, and because he is truly God, he carries out this office perfectly. This could never be said of any of the Old Testament high priests because they were men. They needed atonement to be made for themselves. But Christ is also truly human, and as such, he is able to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, do you know what propitiation means, boys and girls? It's one of those words that's really important to the Christian faith, so we, so we shouldn't lose it. It means to take away God's wrath or anger. You see, because Adam and Eve had sinned all the way back in the garden, we were separated from God, and we were even counted as his enemies. But because Christ is our perfect high priest, because he offered his perfect sacrifice there on the cross, we're no longer his enemies, right? In fact, we are even his adopted sons and daughters. We're brought into the family of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And finally, not only does Christ's humanity enable us to be united to him and, and, and him to stand in our place on the cross and, and for him to destroy the devil. But he serves as one who knows us and, how, and knows how to care for us in times of need because he knows our condition. As we see in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that an amazing comfort to you this morning? Jesus Christ has lived a human life in this fallen world. And and, and while he committed no sin himself, he knows what we are going through. He knows what we experience. He knows our hardships and sufferings. And because of this, he's able to help in our time of need. So what does this mean for all of us to know that, that God has put everything in subjection under Jesus Christ this morning? Well, it means that nothing is outside of Jesus Christ's control. He's Lord over everything. There's no event, there's no policy, there's no ideology that the world can ever throw our way that will ever change this fact. Christians are to take comfort in knowing that God is working all things according to his good plan, according to his good purposes. What does it mean for the Christian to have Christ, to have died for his people? means that we no longer have to fear death. means that we no longer have to be anxious about the things of this world. means that we are free from God's wrath and curse. We're free to bear fruit to the glory of Christ and his kingdom. We're free to share the glory of the gospel with those around us. We're free to sing God's praises. We are free to place our trust in God Almighty alone. We're free to live as the blood-bought children of God Almighty, as those who are no longer his enemies because of the propitiating work of our great founder and high priest, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Because God has put everything under the authority of Jesus Christ, and because Jesus Christ has died for us, 
we are no longer in bondage. Because Christ has paid it all, we can enjoy God's blessings, even in the face of horrible trials. We realize that even when things seem to be falling apart, Christ is still ruling over all things, and God is carrying out his good and perfect plan. We we no longer have to worry. We, we, We can live this life with a proper perspective. Brothers and sisters, are you experiencing this peace and joy in your life this morning? Are you resting in Christ and his salvation rather than the things of this world? Rather than fear of what's coming down next in the pipeline. If you're visiting with us here this morning, we're, we're so happy to have you here with us. But the question I have for you is, are you united to this Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, pray that the Holy Spirit would give you faith. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another moment to trust in Jesus. Salvation is only found in him. We're not promised tomorrow. Now, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out either to myself or any of the brothers and sisters here. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But, but let us all turn to Jesus, our great founder and high priest. Understand his gospel and find our rest and joy in him. Christ has already won the battle. May we all live in this reality by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we praise you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you that while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. We confess that we have lost focus of Christ and his atoning work on our behalf throughout this past week. We have acted as unbelievers when faced with the various trials of this life. We have tried to do things by our own power. We have acted in despair. We have doubted our security. Thank you for our great founder of salvation, our merciful and faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his perfect life and for his propitiating death on the cross. Thank you that that he paid the price that we could not. Please help us to to always view the world and its troubles through the lens of Christ and, and his cross. Help us to live out our profession with fear and trembling. Please help us to be so bold as to share this good news with those around us. Please be with us now as we go out from this place and help us to heed your word and bring us back to worship this evening. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.